fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel Media, and then unload the dark abyss I have uncovered upon my good friend Caitlin. Great. <laughs> Usually over a glass of wine. We're not doing wine today, but that's fine. Uh, this episode will be covering the week of September 2nd. So uh, I know you don't like intro podcast banter, but I'm going to do it every time. How are you, Caitlin? <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. That's good. Yeah. I'm I'm all right. I'm pretty excited. This is going to be a, a fun jaunt through Rebel Media. So I, I, I want to begin off the top, which is that I realized I was a bit brief in our first episode about what this podcast is. In part because we kind of explained it in our first podcast that didn't actually become our first podcast because we scrapped yeah. it due to audio reasons. Uh, so I'm going to take a moment to introduce the concept of the show in case it wasn't clear after you listened to the first one. Uh, or at least if it wasn't clear why our focus is Rebel Media. Ezra Levant is a far-right media personality in Canada who runs his own media platform called Rebel Media. It is a daily podcast uh, that runs from Monday to Friday and is hosted by Ezra Levant. With two additional free episodes by Sheila Gunn-Reed and David the Menzoid Menzies, but often we won't talk about them. They're kind of boring. You're going to hear Sheila Gunn-Reed for the first time today. Oh, yay. And uh, she's, she was boring. But uh, no David today, I don't think. I can't even remember if I played any David uh, yesterday. There, there will no. probably be David in the future because I'm pretty sure he committed a crime. <laughs> but we will mostly be focusing on Ezra Levant. The rest of the content of Rebel Media is behind a paywall, and I'm not going to give them any money, so we're just going to ignore that content. The point of our show is to analyze how the far right attempts to shape narratives and manipulate a pu public opinion in Canada, and I thought what better way to do that than through the lens of Rebel Media, and by extension, Ezra Levant. We are witnessing the steady rise of fascism across the world, and my way of dealing with this is to understand it can't defeat it if you don't know what it is or how it works. We also have an election coming up in Canada, so what better way uh, or what better time to learn than right now since the rebel played a huge role in mainstreaming fascism in Canada. At least I think it did, and maybe that's part of what this uh, show will try to elucidate. Well, it at least plays to the sentiments of the rise of fascism in Canada. So if it's not because of it, at least joins it right right very much well, the, so to, to subtly like hint to what i why i think is the rebel media uh media platform was a jump start for a lot of the big names in fascism that propped up around the world what so like faith goldie faith goldie lauren southern yeah another special person we're going to get to today <gasps> so i'm not going to spoil it <laughs> the inspiration for the show comes from the podcast knowledge fight where they have a similar dynamic, but with uh, InfoWars, which is hosted by far-right conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, who is based out of Austin, Texas, in case you don't know who he is. But I'm pretty sure everyone knows who. Well, maybe not. I, I, I talked just, to someone the yeah. other day who didn't know. I just uh, watched a little clip from uh, Knowledge Fight, yeah. And he wanted to be an oil painter, but now he's targeting the new world order. I'm talking about Alex oh, Jones. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's pretty good stuff, yeah. Oil painter to uh, conspiracy. He said theories. I would have been in art galleries all over the place. I sold yeah. my oil paintings all the time. It's fantastic. And he's mostly I I've, I knew him mostly because of the gay frog incident. He thinks there's like chemicals in your tap water, which is the government trying to turn you gay. Well, he believes in new world order, Illuminati, 
Yeah, it's fun. I mean, yeah. so here's the thing is Ezra Levant is not Alex Jones it, in character in the sense that Alex Jones is very boisterous. He's very loud, very dramatic. And Ezra plays this kind of really relaxed, chilled, oh, I'm calm. And part of that, I think, makes him a better propagandist in ways. Yeah, I agree. And makes it like not totally difficult to deconstruct because uh, as maybe you saw from the first episode, he says a lot of just untrue things, but he says it in a very calm, like seemingly rational demeanor that it's confusing for people if they were to just. He actually reminds me of a lot of my friend's dads. So uh, (laughs) yeah, not like in the sense, like the stuff he's saying more so in the sense of like how he looks and talks and just his demeanor in general. He reflects a certain generation. Yeah. And so for that generation and even for young people too, that's impressionable. Right. The, the one thing that I, I do credit Knowledge Fight with, so like we deal with a different character and that's going to take itself in different directions. But I did want to say the way we set up our show, which is that I basically spend all my time researching about it. And then I expose that to Caitlin. And the fun of that is Caitlin, like the audience, gets taken for a journey in the stuff <laughs> that I've come up with. And I really like that dynamic from their show. It's also very similar to another podcast called Behind the Pas- Behind the Bastards. Uh which Robert Evans leads people through the the sort of stuff that he's learned about these terrible figures throughout history. So I I wanted to capture that dynamic, but focus on a more Canadian centric figure that I also has, I also think has implications for the rest of the world, because as I said, a lot of his uh, children have (laughs) gone out into the world and, and done some terrible things. This also means given that I'm trying to distill a week's worth of rebel media, material into a single show that we may tend to go longer knowledge fight goes pretty long too it's just the nature of trying to capture the stuff and part of that is because there is some things that i don't want to miss and so i want to try to strike a balance appreciate that i don't want to like try people's patience but i also want to cultivate an audience that is really interested interested in going deep in these subjects uh, and so hopefully we can keep your interest that long we'll see how it goes we'll get some more feedback and we'll, we'll play around with that but i'm going to try to be as brief as i can but you're going to see a lot of stuff even comes up today it might like start to like narrow down as we progress because we're still kind of fresh so every topic feels kind of new to me where like by the time i've sort of covered it a bit like there could be times where it's like oh he's just saying this old thing that he said like five mm-hmm. five episodes ago and i'm not going to cover it again kind of thing uh so we'll see how that goes uh and yeah if you know anyone who's uh interested in in this kind of show please spread the word and if you like what we're doing please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash imperial news and with that being said i would like to give our very first shout out to our very first patron jesse so thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Now that uh, that is done, we're going to move on to the first segment, which is the Imperial Roundup, where I go through the week. I might have music here eventually. I still do not have music. <laughs> I have a friend who said maybe he would do something and we'll figure it out. But for now, silence. All right. On September 2nd, which was Labor Day in Canada, Ezra had a special guest on. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, because that's going to be the main segment of the show. And you're just going to have to wait and find out. Do I get, like, hints? None at all. (laughs) 
Okay. I can feel the tension in the air right now. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, are you nervous? <laughs> it's going to be fun. Well, it's, I, I said this uh, off air, but it's like a fun... Here's the thing. We're dealing with a terrible character, and I'm going to go into details with it. But the fun is knowing that I got to investigate and learn a lot of learn a lot of the ways that the far right sort of like crafts their narratives. And so that part's fun, although this person's a really shitty person. <laughs> You're going to find out about it. All right, so then on September 3rd, uh, the first half of the show is about a federal liberal candidate named Hassan Gilei, who was kicked out for anti-Semitic comments he had made in the past. The two primary complaints against Hassan was first his support for an Arab-Israeli politician, Rahid Salah, who discussed, uh, for example, blood libel, and he also believed that the Jews uh, had knowledge about September 11th and therefore like didn't go into the Twin Towers that day. And so he believes a bunch of anti-Jewish conspiracies. And the other complaint against uh, Gilei is that he had a Facebook post claiming that Zionists controlled the American government. Well, I, I don't want to say he has a Facebook post. It was on like the Wayback Machine and stuff. And uh, it's being reported as alleged Facebook posts. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Now, I don't have too much to add here. The, if, if the offending Facebook comment is legit, uh, and he hasn't like backtracked on it. That's a pretty bad look, and I'm kind of glad they're kicking him out of the Liberal Party. Makes sense. You don't want anti-Semites running around in your party. Uh, however, there's one thing that I want to talk about, which is the issue of uh, Gilei's support for this Arab-Israeli politician. Well, he used to be uh, a politician in Israel. I think he was a mayor of one of the cities that was a predominantly Arab city in Israel but he also supports the Palestinian cause. And Gilei sent a, a message of support for some of the work that Raid did. So I don't agree with what Salah had said. Uh, for example, the blood libel stuff. If anyone doesn't know what blood libel is, it's like this idea that like the Jews eat children what? and like drink their blood and stuff like this. Yeah, it's a common, like this goes back in history. It's just a slander against the Jews. Before. Right, so he, he had made some comment about how uh, unlike the Jews, we don't bake our children into bread or something like this. Uh, he since came out and like said that's not quite what he said, and there was no recordings of the incident where he said it. But I'm just going to say he probably said those things, and they're shitty. Also true with the September 11th stuff. I mean, after September 11th happened, that conspiracy theory started to spread, and it particularly took root in a lot of Muslim communities that felt that... Uh, uh, the Americans blamed it on the Muslims so that they could invade our country and it like became this thing. So it's a common belief in, in a lot of uh, these countries in certain areas and that's sad and it's also not true. But that one's a little bit more fresh in a way and, and has like a sort of historical context, not to justify it, but just to explain uh, how it sort of sits in that. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this is because there's a larger, larger problem here about supporting the cause of the Palestinians. And one thing you might notice in the United States is that every time a cop murders a black man, it begins to come out that the black man had some sort of criminal past, as if the fact that somehow uh, this criminal past excuses or justifies the fact that the black man was killed. For, and, and these reasons are, I mean, they're not related to the... Uh, him being shot by the cops is not related to the criminal yeah. history whatsoever, yeah, yeah. right? 
And so similarly in the Palestinian context, there are Arabs who support a free Palestine, who have themselves participated in violent uh, acts and have said anti-Semitic things like Rahid Salah. But that doesn't mean that the idea of a free Palestine is not worth fighting for. And so the issue is that they use it constantly. Anytime somebody like supports Palestine, so like the BDS movement, and then people go and criticize the BDS movement by finding one person over here or another person over here who has some connection with another person who has said something vaguely anti-Semitic. And that doesn't like justify the anti-Semitic comments, but it's also like these people exist in a historical context in a conflict where a lot of people are angry at the state of Israel and it can manifest itself in negative ways. And it's not to say that that means the anti-Semitism is justified or good, but it also doesn't mean that somehow we can dismiss all Palestinian activism as being bad and not good, right? Which is but, often how it's used. Yeah, but doesn't, um, aren't a lot of people who are pro-Israel saying that if you criticize Israel, it's anti-Semitic? Yes. I mean, on our first episode that, again, we, we didn't record, this, yeah. but, right? We And I'm going to get to it in a bit, too, at the end of this, which is this idea that somehow there's an essential Jewishness. Uh, and so that to be a Jew, you have to support Israel. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Which is completely ridiculous. And I, I think I said this on this episode that we didn't end up posting um, due to technical errors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, I, I fucked up the audio. You can yeah, <laughs> big time. Um, but it's just ridiculous because how could you support the killing of children or apartheid? I just, I don't see how people can justify that to themselves. Well, this is the thing. I mean, it's easy or it's not. It's just what they do is find someone saying something anti-Semitic and therefore dismissing all of the, yeah, the Palestinian yeah. cause. And then you can just go. Well, therefore, we're just defending ourselves, right? But the thing is, you could do the same thing for Israeli politics. I mean, the group that basically blew the whistle on this uh, liberal candidate who mm -hmm. then got kicked out of the party, they're called B'nai B'rith, and they've been criticized before by having ad campaigns that are very Islamophobic, mm -hmm. that like basically paint all Muslims as terrorists. So you would think that like that should also be equally condemning if you're going to say that everyone of a particular religion is somehow a terrorist. Yeah. And and Ezra does this all the friggin' time. <laughs> like this is part of his thing. Is like Justin Trudeau is a secret Islamist terrorist oh my gosh. who, who uh, and even in this uh, one of the episodes uh, coming up, uh, one of the days this week, he brings up again the the mosque thing where he it's like Justin went to a terrorist mosque. And as I showed last week, that's completely bullshit. <laughs> like the, it's the, it's again, it's the same talking points. It's like he has them down on rote, and he's like, "All I have to do is say Justin went to a terrorist mosque, and everybody knows in my audience knows exactly what I'm talking about, and I don't have to go into the details again." And he says every time he does it, because I feel like he brought it up the first week too. What he does is he says, "Yeah, Justin was at a terrorist mosque," and then he plays this clip of Justin talking about going to the terrorist mosque. Well, Justin doesn't say, I'm going to the terrorist mosque. It's like, oh yeah, and I went to the Wasuna Habi uh, mosque, right? And then he plays that clip every single time, like to like put it into his audience brain of like, look, here he is. He even admits it. He's a terrorist sympathizer. Justin Trudeau's a terrorist sympathizer. It's like, if you repeat it just enough, it'll sink into 
your audience's brain, right? It gets even worse than that. So I, I was going to play two really quick clips about where this sort of goes. Now, as I mentioned, the liberals didn't actually fire Guillet. The CBC told him the bad news. He still doesn't believe it. In fact, he's apparently having a press conference tomorrow where he will, I don't know, fight on. And I hope by fight on, he doesn't, you know, literally fight on in a Hamas kind of way like his heroes do. Notice how he's framed this. It started off with, you had this uh, guy who liked uh, a supporter of Palestine. And now he's saying, well, I hope he doesn't fight on like Hamas does, like the terrorists do, right? Yeah. He's trying to like almost insinuate that this person is a terrorist, which is itself Islamophobic. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how Ezra can simultaneously call the Liberal Party weak and girly and play these very like... Um, or characterize the liberal party or people in the liberal party as like these emasculate roles, but then simultaneously make them seem like they're barbarians and they're brutal terrorists. And he goes back on back and forth on both of them quite a bit. So I'm going to play the next clip because it actually leads in perfectly to what you're just talking about, Oh, nice! which is basically painting the liberal party as being pro-terrorist. The mosque deleted their whole website. That's quite something. I can only imagine what was on there. But the actual social media posts Gia had, they were deleted <gasps> before the B'nai B'rith blew the whistle here. So they were deleted weeks ago. By whom? And why? By Gia himself or, or by the Liberal Party? Did they say, yeah, this Jews eat the blood of children thing? someone might misinterpret it. Better just delete that one, Hassan. But once you've deleted it, you're good to go. I wanted to highlight that you could see how they went from he liked something that this guy did to now somehow that supported the blood libel comment. When in nothing that uh, Gilead did, did he say, I support blood libel, right? Yeah. And and yet now he's saying that somehow the liberal uh uh, candidate are not the candidates they the staffers that sort of like uh screen the, their candidates that somehow they s made the connections and knew it and didn't want it to get released so they deleted the the <laughs> Muslim yeah, page yeah, prisons yeah. and it's the conspiracy thing that, theory exactly and this is what uh, uh, i sort of hinted to at the beginning of the show which is that we often have this idea that he isn't like an alex jones figure because he's more calm and more rational. Well, but here he is spinning like a conspiratorial Yeah, way. he does, but it's just the demeanor that it, it sells it more to people. When you hear right. someone that's speaking calm and they're a rational person and they're putting facts together. Um, but I guess that's why we're doing this, to show people that he's very not rational. Um, no. And despite his demeanor coming off that way, that he says kind of backwards um, statements and he does have this sense of yeah I agree with you about that <laughs> and, and here's the thing is Ezra can frame this clip as being tongue-in-cheek and he is being you know conspiratorial here but the yeah. end result is the same it is a way to link in the audience head the idea that the liberal government is secretly Muslim pro-terrorist and anti-semitic I want to like highlight this because you can see this very same thing happening in Britain right now with uh, Jeremy Corbyn being linked with anti-Semitism. You see it in the U.S. with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, which are the only two Muslim women in Congress who are constantly being smeared as 
uh, anti-Semitic because they're critical of Israel. And meanwhile, Ezra had Faith Goldie as a paid correspondent for Rebel Media who went on a neo-Nazi podcast and joked about her Jewish boss. She's also referred to the 14 words. I don't know if you know what that is. So in white nationalist circles, there's uh, this thing called 1488 that they say. 88 is the eighth letter of the alphabet. HH stands for Hail Hitler. And the 14 oh words, <laughs> right. And the 14 words is, uh, I don't know them verboten, but it's something like, I will secure a free homeland for white people. Basically, something like that. I can't remember. But she basically recited that on a podcast. So she's like deep into white nationalist yeah. rhetoric. And he had her on <laughs> on his show. But she also ran for Toronto mayor and got how much of a vote? Like a good percentage. Uh, I think it was 10,000 votes. I want to say it was something like 10,000 votes. Which, I mean, 10,000 people voting for a white nationalist. In Toronto. Pretty, in Toronto. In Toronto. So this isn't like the whole country voting or whole province. This is just Toronto. So on top of Faith Goldie, he... Ezra had on a show, and this is another thing that was on the first episode. He had on the editor of Breitbart, Joe, Joel Pollack, who is uh, is himself Jewish. And he's also the voice of the guy at the end of her podcast who talks about the homeless and cell phones. <laughs> and I'll explain that in a second. But you had Joel, Joel Pollack and Ezra sitting there chatting it up about Jews, saying that the Jews have a central interest uh, in preserving Israel, uh, and talked about how George Soros is not a real Jew and he's not a real Jew because he doesn't support Israel. And so you have these people talking about how there is a true, real, essential Jewish Jewish interest, which is exactly what uh, the white nationalists say. Even Richard Spencer, who those of you who don't know, he's probably most famous for being punched in the face during Trump's inaugural, uh, which became very popular on the Internet. But he argues that Israel is kind of the reflection of the kind of state that he wants because it's a Jewish ethno state, much like he wants a white male or not male, but white Christian ethno state. Yeah. So. So just to interrupt what you're saying, she uh, was third runner up. Woof. (laughs) Over 25,000 votes. 25,000. Over 25,000. So still bad. Third in line. I mean, there's millions of people in Toronto, so I still Third I don't want to. Third in line, just 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 want to point that out. No, I mean it is important. I th- I think it's important to properly put that in context, though, which is that these people have a non-negligible effect. Twenty-five thousand uh, in a city full of millions is still not insignificant, mm-hmm. but it's also not like she came close to winning. You know what I mean? And so it's. Yeah, I mean no. it's 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 a warning sign in that we don't want this to continue to grow and spread, and we want to like chop it off at its beginning stages. It's scary though, and it is scary. But uh, yeah, so that's a long rant about that. They then went on to uh, the next the next half of the episode, which was about uh, unions, and it kind of went nowhere. He kind of was just basically saying that. Uh, uh, man are manly trade unionists who are like construction workers and steel workers and they're like men and they get dirty and they're like they're leaving the left because the left with their bureaucratic unions are all like pro environmentalism which is very 
<laughs> which is very you know only like sissy girly men get so into i just want to point out that or give some context um so i used to be the president for public service alliance of Canada Local 610, which represents teaching assistants and postdocs at the University of Western Ontario. Look at you in that girly union. Yeah, Why weren't really you getting girly. your hands dirty, Caitlin? Well, <laughs> that's where that's where unionism is going towards. Unionism, and uh, when you're seeing who's getting certified, it is people in the public sector. It is in bureaucratic roles. Uh, it's mostly public employees. It's people that are in service work. It's not people in the trades. And... Like, there's so much sexism when it does come to, like, occupational sector, right? Like, men do the manual labor kind of work and women sit at desks. Um, but, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous and so inaccurate that he'd say something like that. I actually was just watching Patriot Act. Oh, oh we're going to get there, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I, like, I, I could like to the episode. I was watching on the gaming industry and how they're talking about... The gaming industry is starting to unionize. And okay, being ex- so he talks about Hassan Minaj, but a different thing. Okay, but- okay, we can get to that. I watched all of it so far, so I'm up to date with that. Um, and it's it's really strong, and they're really effective. And in Toronto, we were just having Foodora. I don't know what ended up happening with the certification vote. Um, but that's amazing, because now people... Um, that are doing that door-to-door delivery are going to become certified. And that's just where unionism is going towards because it's overall manual labor is leaving. Like we don't have it in Canada. We just had GM closed down its plant and it's going. That's that's what I was going to say. It's the only way that it can grow. Like that's the only direction it can go. Of course. But then not only that, but you see like Unifor, for example, when the GM closure, of course, Jerry Diaz, uh, he's his own case. (laughs) Um, But there was a lot of active members of Unifor that were going and they supporting leftist causes, like at least in their, in pockets, like. London, we have a lot of people from Unifor that come out and they're the trades. We have a lot of trade unions. We have even like bus drivers coming out all the time. I mean, that's not exactly a trade, but it is, I guess that's more service work. But um, we are having people who are mechanics and working in the trades coming out, showing support. They're also very active in other leftist causes. So no evidence for that. (laughs) I'm very passionate about unions. So, Well, I don't think there's necessarily evidence for that either. But the only thing I would say from my experience is that there are some individuals who get into union activism who work in more of the trades and construction uh, and those kinds of uh, careers that do have a kind of adverseness to the kind of sort of like social justice activism. Which is kind of like, I don't really want to talk about women's issues or racial issues. I would rather just talk about my issues involved yeah. with like economic stuff. Well, there's a lot of things going on there. There's, um, like, and for example, in construction, you have certain groups of people that kind of monopolize construction. Like, Italians are known to have gone in and, like, really taken over construction as a whole. Um, and not let other ethnic groups in and they don't want to. Um, so maybe that's why they also don't want to get involved. A lot of guys, I mean, these are the wider societal issues. This has I, nothing to do with being in a union and no, this is the I, better I think, union. My, my point is like this, 
that's what he Ezra's trying to do is drive a wedge between into unions, that, yeah. Right? Is to say that somehow there's these good unions, which are the hard get Man your hands man. dirty kind of uh unions, and then there's these like weak, effeminate unions that want to like ruin everything with social. But justice. even within our own union that we're both a part of. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> like we have so many people, like even as my term being the local president for our union, there are so many people that wrote in and would say to me, oh, you don't represent my right-leaning views. And I'd be like, sorry, yeah. vote for someone else in the next election that's more yeah. right-leaning for your, your president. I'm sorry you don't like democracy. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. But so it's diverse, though, because there are people who are in construction. There are people who are mechanics. In fact, I went to uh, Canadian Sociology Association Congress. Um, it's for academics. We go, we present a bunch of research. And there's a lady who looked at women in the trades and was saying that unionize, unionization in the trades have actually helped women for for them to progress. And that's been where it's been more successful in tackling women's issues in that sector is when it's unionized workplaces. And so she was showing that through all her work and I mean, it's just so wrong. No, He's unions, so wrong. unions are destroyed now because we've allowed women in. And <laughs> She's giving me a deep, evil stare right now. I'm going to move on. To the, <laughs> moving on to the fourth. Uh, Ezra spends the first half of this episode talking about Hassan Minaj. Okay. But he covered, uh, I guess since you said you watched it, he yep. covered the episode where he interviewed Justin Trudeau. Yeah, I've watched that. And I have to say, on the whole, I thought the coverage was good. I thought Hassan Minaj really uh, skewered Justin Trudeau on a lot of points. It was hilarious. And it was hilarious. The only criticism I have of Hassan is that I think he came to it through the framework of sort of the American election and sort of focused mainly on the liberals versus conservative and ignored all the other parties. Involved. No, that's not true. Well, he mentioned Jagmeet Singh once. Uh, and pointed out the fact that he's trusted less than Trudeau, yeah, probably because of racists in Canada. Yeah, was, and that was like it. That was like the only mention of Jagmeet Singh. And part of me is like, that's also, an important part of the. Like, but he piece. also doesn't really talk about like Andrew Shear at all. He has like one little comment about him looking like a evil character. Um, it, to me, it was the framing that somehow it's like the liberals are the left and he's this good hero of the left. And that Andrew Scheer is like, well, again, the, it was the framing at the beginning. He's seen as this good hero of the left. And if you talk to Canadians, we don't perceive him as a good hero of the left. I mean, he's a centrist moderate. And yeah. like, that's just how he's seen. I mean, he's done some good things like the legalization. Of I guess. Before. Yeah, I guess if you're not too... It, I guess like you don't know these issues well in depth and you're watching that and you don't understand uh, right. what a centrist is or what left-leaning is, what right, like, I don't know, like you didn't take a basic civics course. I don't know, but like, <laughs> well, it's just that we're different. I mean, cause like with, within the American context, the democratic party itself spans that gamut. Right. So you have like, but people think we have Democrats. a two party system. Like they think, like I hear it all the time. I talk to people and they're like, Guess I'm voting for the liberals because we can't this have is that criticism. guy. That's exactly what my criticism is. That like I wish, and I'm not saying that's necessarily like that he had to go that. It's just personally like I wish that was framed better because I feel like a lot yeah. of people, like you're saying, like don't 
Well, so I guess another problem now that you are raising this issue is that if they think that's what the left is and then they're seeing all these issues with Trudeau, which he did point out very significant issues um, and all his unethical behavior over his term, then it shows that there's something wrong with the left. Right. And so that's what he's highlighting. And like, Rather that's the thing. Showing, it's like, yeah. he could have just even had a segment being going like, you know that Jagmeet Singh guy I brought up? Here's a left oppor- <laughs> opportunity of someone who actually is advocating for like strong leftist positions. Or he could have showed just as how horrible Andrew Shear is. Yeah. Yeah. Like dissected that a little more too. But, so, so also another thing too, is he did say for his show that he interviewed Trudeau like way in advance. So I think it was before... Like our election, uh, like election talk really started. Yeah, I mean, it might have been before. I mean, the election talk doesn't even feel like it's really started yet. I guess it's going to happen when the first debate happens, which might be in a couple weeks or a week. The debate's coming up soon. We have a, for any Americans listening, your election period has already started. <laughs> and ours feels like it hasn't. And yet our election is in October. So it's just how our, our politics October? work. October is November. Uh, night. I feel like it's the end of October. I could be completely wrong. It's coming up. It's in the next two or three months. Okay. We know that for sure. Go and find out. Google, vote, do something. <laughs> <laughs> so Ezra's cover- coverage of this, though, was interesting because he agreed with... I wouldn't say he agreed with everything Hassan Minaj was, but it was more like embracing the fact that it made Trudeau look bad. So Rebel or, or Ezra spends his whole time being like, you Trudeau so it was like anyone who makes him look bad it's like right on you made him look bad so he likes us on <laughs> not really because he kept framing him in terms of like uh a islam supporter and stuff like this because he is a muslim the the other thing that was weird because he really liked the fact that hassan did this one piece where he pointed out the contradiction between Trudeau selling himself as an environmentalist and the fact that Trudeau has supported pipelines. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting for, I think it's the Friday show. I'll bring it, bring it up again. But he, he really likes that contradiction because he's like, yeah, like he's selling himself as this environmentalist, but here he is building the pipelines. Meanwhile, Ezra really likes and wants pipelines being built and also needs to find a way to make Justin Trudeau, look bad here it's just Mm -hmm. it gets and it's going to get weirder on friday uh and so when we get there i'll sort of like jump back to it now the this episode was weird because it's the first time where it took sort of like three parts the next thing he got into was this weird story of i guess a reporter from lebanon let out that a hundred thousand lebanese palestinians were going to immigrate to canada and then the canadian government said that that wasn't a true story and Ezra just spends the time going, yeah, but Trudeau visited a terrorist mosque, so therefore he's probably going to let these so Palestinians again, in. Yeah. And that was like literally this, the segment. So that was that. But then the, the episode ended with something that I want to go into a bit more detail. And part of this is because we covered it last week. And when we covered it last week, I thought it was just going to be a one-off side thing and I just sort of like briefly touched on it. I'm starting to get the feeling that this is going to be a recurring piece of his his mythology that's going to start growing. So he had this guy on the show named Ed Whalen, who is the CEO of the Canadian Institute of Steel Construction. And 
they were on the show to discuss this $40 billion LNG project, which is the largest private investment project in Canadian history. Project is to build a liquefied natural gas in British Columbia and then have a pipeline transfer that gas to the coast and then create like transportation infrastructure to then send the gas to foreign markets. Canadian government itself is putting $275 million into the project. The rest of the money is coming from Royal Dutch Shell, Mitsubishi Corporation, the Malaysian-owned Petronas, PetroChina Company, and Korea Gas Corporation. We discussed, again, some of this last episode, uh, but I had to do some more digging. So here it goes. The reason uh, you would have Ed on the show, who's the, again, the CEO of uh, CISC, is to discuss the fact that China is illegally dumping fabricated steel into Canada. Since since the Canadian government has now, since uh, this deal, removed duties on Chinese steel to appease the other investors, other investors in the LNG project. The problem seems to be that the Canadian government and the private investors of the LNG project uh, think that a specific part of the project cannot be completed in Canada because Canada lacks the ability or expertise to build these modules or the infrastructure to do it. The CISC and the United Steelworkers, which is the thing I covered last week, both think that Canada can in fact build these modules, but that the investment partners and the government want to lower costs by buying illegally dumped Chinese steel duty-free rather than spending a bit more on Canadian steel. Now, dumping here is actually an economics term, which is when an exporter lowers the costs to buy their product in order to drive out competitors in the target country and therefore increases the market share of the exporting company, right? So you go, I'm going to sell my steel for less then all the companies in Canada can't compete. You drive mm-hmm. them out of the market and now you win. Basically yeah. <laughs> you get to, you get to control the, the market. The remedy of di- dumping is to impose a duty on the particular product from the offended country. So the Canadian International Trade Tribunal, which is a quasi-judicial body in Canada, found that there is reason to believe that China was, in fact, dumping fabricated steel into Canada, and therefore a duty was then put on Chinese steel. This way, dumped steel doesn't undermine the Canadian steel industry, which is why the USW was so upset. And on a side note, this is just a fun fact, America is currently investigating whether or not Canada is dumping its steel into the United States, which is part of the ongoing trade war between America and Canada right now. Now, what the CISC and the USW seem to be upset about is that Trudeau's government got rid of the duties, thus making the purchase Chinese steel cheaper to import, and thus the government is buying the illegally dumped steel and undercutting the Canadian steel industry. The government's reasoning for this, again, is that the project cannot be built here because we don't have the ability to do so. Therefore, we might as well get the cheaper price on the steel rather than forcing the investors to pay the duty when they are going to have uh, to get their steel from China anyway. Now, in contrast with the CSIC and the USWU, there's this thing called the Canadian Building Trade Union, and they agree with the government that Canada does not have the facilities to build these modules. But they say that this is actually what the problem is and that Canada needs to invest in their infrastructure to have the capacity to build these projects. Now, after all this being said, you still have environmental groups and First Nations organizations that don't like this project in the first place because, again, liquefied uh, uh, liquefied natural gas is a 
strong emitter of greenhouse gas into the atmosphere. Mm. It's going to cause more pollution. And these pipelines are going right through native territories that then have the potential to leak and poison the rivers and streams that they fish and hunt and all that fun stuff. So I'm kind of on the side that I don't like this project in the first place. But I do kind of see where the steelworkers are coming from, feeling sort of like left out when you undercut them. But then it's it's a difficult thing to suss out because then we didn't have the infrastructure to support it anyways with the deal going through. But then the deal shouldn't have gone through in the first place. So it's like, it's just this big, messy situation. And in the middle of this whole thing, you have Ezra trying to side up with the labor unions because... Because they're the manly ones. It's not just that they're the manly ones. I think it's also this foreignness about China. So other countries other than China dump steel into Canada. I think Spain's one of them as well that was found guilty of dumping steel. And he, Ezra, has this like ickiness about China that we covered in, yeah. uh, again, the famous episode that we got rid of. <laughs> but like narratives that we know, he he doesn't like China and sees yeah, China he sees as them as communists as well. Right. Uh, and so he's objecting, I think, partly to the fact that we're getting this Chinese steel and siding up with the labor unions to make that point. But the weirdest, the weirdest part about this whole thing is Ezra also doesn't believe in global warming. And yet, at least with the USW, and I know this, I, I went on the website to look for it because I was curious and pretty sure that they were going to side with this. The USW has been a consistent supporter of the NDP. And not only that have consistently supported a Green New Deal in Canada mm -hmm. such that we can move away from fossil fuel technology onto green technology and employ their skilled steel workers in that industry rather than the fossil fuel industry, but that they're petitioning the government to go through with the Green New Deal such that they can facilitate that transition. Wait, so if Ezra <laughs> doesn't believe in climate change, then why was he applauding Hassan on critiquing Trudeau about his environmental this is like, like like I'm sorry I'm confused well it gets like really confusing uh about all of this stuff because he has so many so many talking points that have like overlapping pieces but he never spells it out on a show such that he has to go through the nuances so it's like China's dumping illegal steel into Canada that's all he has to say over and over again. Chinese dumping illegal steel Canada. And that gets the xenophobia feels pumping. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, poor steel workers losing jobs. So losing jobs. That's another thing that gets the feels going. Yeah. Ezra never mentions, and I'm not saying this is a pro against Trudeau, because again, I support the NDP. Yeah. And I don't think the LNG is a good project, even though it... Uh, Anyway, so here's the thing. It's pro projected to create 10,000 jobs in Canada. So this one small portion of the project that is getting these modules from China isn't really undercutting all of these jobs. No. It's only undercutting the steel workers, yeah. which is why they're mad, and I understand that. But that's all that it's doing. All these other jobs are still going to be created through this project. Again, Ezra can't say that, because if he were to say... Yeah, Trudeau's creating 10,000 jobs. Then that like completely destroys his narrative that somehow the liberals are these like evil people who are taking your job away. Yeah. Right? And so that's basically all he does is he's using this as like... Before when he said it the other day, I was kind of curious. I was like, why is he even bringing up the the United Steelworkers? 
And it was when he was asking the the question to Christian Freeland, or when he supposedly conspired with the other press. Yeah, this, to ask we this focused question. a little more on the communications, right? Yeah, because he was framing okay. it as like he yeah. was this hero who came up with the one question, and it happened to be a union question, and he was like yeah. trying to frame that as like, see, I'm not against these like strong, manly labor union types that are like working hard and getting their hands dirty because they're good workers and. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's like what he's doing. He's trying to build this like comport with them. Yeah. And, and then like feed off their xenophobia. It's like these weird like little talking point nuggets that he's trying to like uh, weed in there. Even though if you think about it, this whole thing is just a big complicated mess. That I mean, I took a while to research that for, for what, but I don't know who to, other than the environmental activists and the native activists, I don't know who to agree with. One of the things I'll just skip to Friday because uh, it was like weird was he has this guy in his show named Manny Montenegreno, who is a retired uh, lawyer who now works for some sort of consultancy firm. And he had this wild conspiracy theory, which that w- which was basically Trudeau, uh, Trudeau, who gets all of his like ideological platforms from Gerald Butts who's the guy who retired or, or resigned after the SNC-Lapland scandal, he he says Trudeau gets all of his talking points from Gerald Butts. And Gerald Butts got this money from David Rockefeller to fight all pipelines. So really, when Trudeau bought the Trans Mountain Pipeline, it was just so that he could buy it and then not build it. What? <laughs> Because he's ideologically against pipelines. And then Ezra chimes in and goes, yes, Trudeau has and has not and never will build pipelines in Canada. Wait, okay. I sense that you think that that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's wrong. Yes. I mean, we... It's absolutely wrong. But no, I'm just trying to like connect everything. So at first he's applauding. Let's like go back like a day ago. <laughs> Yeah. He's applauding Hassan for calling out Trudeau for right. wanting to build pipelines. Right. While also framing himself as in this very um Yep. The first prime minister to, you know, be focused on environmental issues and climate change. Um so he's like, Yes, thank you, Hassan, for calling him out. Then he's upset about about, <laughs> about ch- Chinese dumping steel into Canada to build a pipeline to build a pipeline and now he's upset with Trudeau because this is all a huge conspiracy and Trudeau's never going to actually build the pipeline right and so he's mad at Trudeau because Trudeau this is just a whole scam and he really is a justice social justice warrior for climate change and all these First Nations people who've You're been trying to rationalize it, make all the things connect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then all the those protests, all those people speaking out, I guess they're a part of it. Like I, I don't know. Or is Trudeau sitting there being like, "You just wait and see. You're gonna hate me now, but one day you'll love me." But this is the thing. What constituency is like? Trudeau, like maybe if the position is Trudeau's trying to be all people to everyone, but he never makes that 
argument. You know, it would be one thing if Trudeau was saying one thing over here, saying one thing over here, saying one thing over here to appease everyone, and all those positions are contradictory. But really, the contradiction lives in Ezra's head. None of these pieces make sense at all. But there's actually something we know through psychology about conservatives, which is that they can, they're way more comfortable with contradiction than people who tend to be more left-leaning. Uh, and that's So, for example, you in the religious context, you hear the people where it's like, the Bible says it, I believe it, it's true. Mm-hmm. Even though we know there's certain passages in the Bible that contradict. But for conservatives, no, just there's no con- contradiction. Bible says it, it's true, I believe it. But I'm not sure if it's contradiction. I just think it's... Well, some of the things that you mapped out <laughs> I guess. can't logically exist with each other. No, I get Okay, yes, but it's... No, I feel like he's been building up to this moment. Like, if you map out everything he's been saying in the last <laughs> week, he's been... He knew that guest was going to come on, so he can say, this is the truth, people. It's a conspiracy theory. And he mapped... No, he did. He mapped it out really nicely. He showed you that, you know... You're convinced now, so you're... No, I'm not convinced that that's right. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, he did that on... That's actually clever of him, how he did that. He started it really early with, like, little nuggets of, like, putting it out there to I'll... have this one blow... Yes, he did. To well, have I'll that just one say, guess. so maybe, maybe this is an issue with my framing, because, like, as someone who listened this whole week, it did not feel like it had a consistent narrative. <laughs> But I mean, maybe we'll see. I mean, this is a thing. This is kind of why I wanted to cover it because I'm actually curious how this story is going to develop. He's got a conspiracy theory. He's mapped it out. And I'm quite surprised. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because, again, this is the guy who wrote Ethical Oil. So like Pipeline and Global Warming, these are going to be like common themes. But he spent a lot of stuff this week talking about labor unions and this pipeline thing. And so I'm curious to see where it goes. Now, I have one. I have one last story to get to before we move on to our uh, main segment. And it's not a huge story. Basically, you had these protesters in Alberta go to a turkey farm and sort of, like, make demands on these people to, like, free some turkeys. Protesting animal cruelty. So, like, vegan? Uh, yes, basically. I think it was more... I mean, I'm sure that they all were vegan or vegetarian, but it was to protest animal cru- okay. cruelty. And I don't know for a fact that cruelty was actually occurring... On this farm, I mean, you might argue that <coughs> vegans might come to me and say that any killing of an animal is cruelty or, or whatever. Mm. But standards-wise, or like legally in Canada, I don't know if there was any like quote-unquote uh, cruelty happening there. Okay. But the things I wanted to highlight, and because this this was like the most Alexi Jonesy that I've ever heard Ezra so far, and I wanted to play it. So one was him sort of fantasizing about killing protesters. What? <laughs> I, I have some ideas that maybe I'll share with you offline, but I am I do not feel that we should be done with this, even if Mr. Cheddar is. I don't think so either. Um the like you said, the HUD rates are pacifists, they're not gonna do anything about this, or because maybe they will, maybe they I'll won't. Um but this is about, at the end of the day, the Hutterites are a family farm just like mine. And so the same laws that protect my family farm that are enforced to protect my family farm should be enforced to protect theirs. I can only imagine. It's one thing. I mean, obviously, Mr. Cheddar here is a grown up and mm-hmm. he can he can communicate well enough and he can deal with the secular world. But oh, he yeah. talked about his boys. And I wonder what the children yeah. thought. I wonder what the children. I'll tell you one thing. 
you bring 30 people onto my backyard when my children are there, that's not something I'm going to turn the other cheek on too quickly. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm in, a, in a quiet rage right now. Sheila, you, let's see you and me talk some more about this, and maybe, maybe there'll be another chapter here where we get closer to justice. So, well, I mean, you picked up on it. That was Sheila Gunry. That yeah. was our first experience of, and do you see what I mean? I mean, I'm not a perfect speaker, and I'm going to stammer and stutter and all this fun stuff, and hopefully I'll get better. I mean, it's our second episode, so we're going to have some kinks. But she's been doing this for a long time, and yet she stammers and pauses, and it's like her brain's buffering every single time that she talks that I cannot, every time I've listened to her episode, I'm just so bored. Because it's like, you're waiting forever for the thought to occur, and you you just lose interest completely. But notice that, and you could hear the rage in him, and it's this creepy rage. It was, and it, you could see like at the end of the clip, he like stutters, he's like, I... I, like he's trying to, he's realizing that I can't say what I want to say on this medium. And so I have a teacher that used to do that. He used to say, I'm just going to get even quieter instead of yelling. <laughs> and he and called it a quiet make, rage. Yeah. And that will make you all be quiet. Like he used to do that. Grade eight. That's creepy. Yeah. It worked because you were scared <laughs> of someone going quieter than louder when they wanted to get your attention. Right. So. And so where Alex Jones will be like, I'm loud and I'm angry. He does this, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Of course, uh, he didn't actually say that, but yeah. But the the way they end that episode is the best ending in all of history. So here it is. To you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom, including freedom to keep out those stupid hippies. (laughs) Uh, Freedom to kill people. No, he said, kick out those stupid hippies. <laughs> I think he means to kill them, though. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, but, I don't know. Kicking out those stupid hippies. I haven't heard many people talk about hippies in a long time, but you can just, like, sense the ire in his voice. Anyways, that's it. That was the whole week. So we're going to frame that, package it, and move on to the main segment. And uh, I'm going to begin the main segment by asking... Are you a fan of Broadway musicals? No, I like plays, though. But I've I've seen quite a few musicals. What about Disney-produced Broadway musicals? Not at all. No. Well, you've never heard of Proud of Your Boy? No. Proud of Your Boy. <laughs> no, not at all. No? No. So, uh, have you ever heard of The Proud Boys? Yes. So, Proud of Your Boy is from... The Aladdin Musical, which was a Broadway play, and that is where the Proud Boys get their name. <laughs> oh. Yes. So if you haven't realized yet, the special guest on Monday was Gavin McGinnis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin McGinnis uh, was the creator of the Proud Boys who are a far-right neo-fascist organization that have been involved in several acts of violence, encouraged by their group creator, who also happens to be a longtime rebel media contributor. So when we talk about these children that Ezra has that get sent off to the world, Gavin McGinnis is one of those children. Gavin also helped. Did he co-create Vice News? He certainly did. He was the co-creator of Vice 
which I think he got kicked out because of his more right-leaning political stuff. But the interesting thing, I mean, Vice News itself, uh, there's issues within the organization because there's a lot of sexism and misogyny because of the sort of like... Have you read one of their articles? Personally? Yeah. Yeah, it's just fucking horrible. Well, <laughs> I've read some. They've, they've done some journalism that's good. Their piece that, that occurred after the Charlottesville rally was really good. Oh, it's yeah. just that they they engage in a kind of, uh, what is it called, Gonzo, gonzo journalism or whatever. Yeah. So that sort of fosters this, like, take no punches, do this, like, we're there's just a this, bunch of uh, boys in this room fiddling with the world. There's you know? this meme that's about vice writers. And the guy goes into his desk and grabs out a dildo and then throws it at a chart. <laughs> and it will be like some sort of country. All right. And then the other chart will be some sort of like new um, new sexuality, like asexuals. And then right. it will be some sort of drug. And so he gets like three dildos, throws them at the board and whatever it lands. That's what he writes the article on. And then it will be like meet the transgender ecuadorians that are selling heroin like and then this <laughs> <will have> be... <laughs> that's that's vice journalism that's vice journalism yeah i'll say the, there's this one vice thing that i've seen which was they smuggled themselves into north korea you seen this yes and yeah. there's like the one moment that i just can't wrap my head around is they go to see this like stage performance and it's just the vice news people and a couple of like police or political parts of the korean government so just like maybe 10 or 20 of them sitting in this auditorium and then there's a hundred and twenty thousand people on a stage doing this like root like uh synchronized routine of holding up cards and making this sort of like stop motion thing okay and i'm like i grew up in a city of a hundred and twenty thousand people <laughs> so it's like the whole city that i grew up in was on a stage performing for like 20 people and that just blew my mind uh that's my vice story okay but <laughs> so now ezra's sitting down with gavin and gavin's gone through some rough times he's basically been kicked off of every media platform that exists uh they discuss how Ezra left uh, Rebel Media to go work for CRTV, which then merged with The Blaze, which is Glenn Beck's uh, media empire. And he got booted from Glenn Beck's stuff. And that left him sort of like drifting in the wind because he doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't have YouTube. He has nowhere to go. And so he can't communicate to the world what he thinks. So uh, he's back on Rebel. I don't think he's like going to keep being a contributor. He does have, I said this uh, at some point, it must have been the first show that we did, but he has like a, what looks like a sketch comedy. <laughs> I'm getting a weird look. He has like a weird sketch comedy looking thing, like where he plays a social justice warrior that's behind the yes. paywall at Rebel. And so like, yeah. I don't know whether that's recent or archive footage, but it, it, it exists there. And so that's what he does now on Rebel. But he's starting up his new thing, which I won't advertise for it here. But basically, it's a show where he's trying to, like, uh, get lefties and right-wingers on a show and have, like, a debate kind of show. And I haven't heard much about it other than he tried to pay Sam Cedar, who's a lefty talk show person, like, yeah. some, something like $5,000 to come on the show and debate someone. And Sam Cedar 
specifically wanted to debate one person and tried to get Gavin to get him on the show, and Gavin couldn't come through because the guy refuses to debate Sam Cedar. <laughs> and so it kind of like dropped off. But uh, that's the only thing I've heard about this show, and I don't know how it's going. But I'm going to play the beginning of the interview because... He frames himself, Gavin does, frames himself as a comedian. And I think he tried to get a start as a comedian. And you can already tell when this interview starts, he's attempting at humor and it's really terrible. So get ready to cringe. Good to see you. Well, thanks I, for your I hospitality. Just, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but in the intro, you said so funny. And then there was nothing after that. Like, you mean so funny that you forgot to laugh or so like usually so funny. It's followed by Gavin is he I laughed and laughed until I stopped. So funny that I laughed and laughed until I stopped. Yeah, that that's fine. <laughs> you know, I said in an editing, I guess. Like he's trying to crack a joke, and like Ezra's like riffing off of it, and it's not funny, and it just lands like, <laughs> and it's like this is a great start to this interview. Uh, so I like how you titled that clip, Gavin. Not funny. <laughs> he's not. He's he he does so many. There's like one clip. Uh, I didn't clip it, but there's one segment of the show where he goes on this thing where Ezra, again, is complimenting him. Ezra spends a lot of part of this interview basically praising Gavin. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because Ezra wants to take on a bit of Gavin's success. Because I feel like he thinks that Gavin has become sort of more successful than he has. And so there's this weird kind of like capitulating and trying to hop on to like Gavin's success. And at one point, Gavin does this like bit of like, you're trying to hit on me? You want to you wanna fuck me? Like kind of thing. And it is not funny. <laughs> I mean, it's funny thinking about it because it's so cringy. But like listening to it, I felt uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, so I, what's the next clip here? We're going to. Yeah. So this is this is where it sort of begins. So like he's already starting to compliment Gavin. And you can just tell that. Uh, Ezra doesn't care, or Gavin doesn't care. You really helped build the rebel in a number of ways. I want to, I want to tell you that. I think you know that. You helped <laughs> us reach beyond guys like me who well, came up through politics. You made me famous, unfortunately, which I don't like. How did? Weren't you famous before? I mean, you Not started. Really. You helped start no, Vice. I was never recognized before Rebel. Well, I mean, you did hundreds of videos, and you were the star of all the videos. So I guess you became famous. No, yeah, I did hundreds of videos for you. You mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Before that, I did some comedy sketches. I get recognized maybe once a week. After the Rebel videos blew up, I am stopped by millennials, mostly white millennial men, um, five times a day. Yep, and they all want something. Selfie. And, which is infuriating because what are you doing with that selfie? Like we're not friends. It's a it's a moment that they can use as a news peg. To Listen, white boys, it's, 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 you're not friends with him. Where they thought it was going to steal your soul, they're trying to. You don't even soul. like you. They want to remember the moment, and they it's want a to, stupid moment. We're not having a moment. They're proud of you. They're turning me into Larry they, David. They're proud of bumping into you. They want to brag about it. It's oh, a way it's of tapping worst. into your you momentum. I pose like this, and they put their arm around me. I can feel their arms shaking. You've made me into like Celine Dion. You know what? 99.9% .9 of people would love to have that place of esteem and fame. And oh, it sucks. It's, well, it's so all, pedantic. It's, it's so tedious. They it's say how the your same fans, thing every time. Hey, I just watched one of your videos. Yeah, I figured. I saw the count number. It's pretty high. Well, that's what pays your bills. And <laughs> <laughs> you can tell, like, Ezra's like, he's trying to be like, 
look, you're famous. And you're like, you got big. You did it. And like, it's paying your bills. And Ezra, or Gavin's response to him is just like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> he just sounds horrible. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like it comes People off- are coming up to me and they like me. Oh my gosh. And they're shaking their arms because they're so nervous to be around me. But it's like, it's doubly weird because not only do you have Gavin sort of playing this like dick to his fans in a way. Yeah. You also horrible. have Ezra almost being envious of Fan people. Of yeah, yeah. Of like, I almost like he wishes he had young men. Uh, and, and it is interesting here that they framed it in terms of young men, right? These are young men that uh, he has success with. And then uh, this exchange happens. And you have a, you mentioned the young males. Um, you you made our audience younger because you use humor and pop culture references. And your power was that you use that humor and those pop culture references to to push ideas that you didn't say, hello, I'm conservative. I'm going to say something conservative now. You just told a story or made a joke or or did a sketch. And people said, yeah, he's got a point there. And they didn't even know it was called conservative. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because this is precisely why I want to do this show. And Ezra's giving the game completely away here, which is that you you soft sell this right wing stuff and you make it edgy and kind of like, ooh, cool to these young men that then get sucked into your movement. Mm-hmm. And he just, just gives it away. And it's like weird because you could see him trying to like, how do I say this without saying that we used you to convince young men to become more conservative which sounds almost like more brainwashing but it was like oh you you were just like a fun loving dude and brought people in uh now this whole stuff about the young men and the men and you reach out to and you're very manly and you do this men stuff gets really weird in this next clip i i think you're not a real man unless you change your mind about something consequential once a year. And I remember being at Fox News once and this black engineer camera guy, we were walking together to get to Hannity or something. And he said, yo, man, uh, I got to say, I don't agree with a lot of your views, but I respect, uh, I respect that you speak your mind. And I, I said to him, what views? Like, I don't have views. I have a, 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 what I believe to be true based on this. Well, you have views. Like what? Well, you have views about masculinity, femininity. Uh, yeah, but if you can disprove it, if you can prove that women are good at sports, I'll eat my hat. Yeah. <laughs> if you can prove there's more than two genders and trans people aren't mentally ill gays, I'm all ears. Holy shit. Yes. So you can see already this guy is a terrible human being. <laughs> it's like, okay, so I just want to point out the contrast between him and Ezra, though, because Ezra, what he doesn't talk like that. Like, he doesn't no. outwardly come out and say things like, yeah. There's only two genders. Like, I'll eat my hat if you can disprove that. Well, Ezra does calmly and dispassionately dead name and misgender people. He'll yeah, do but things he does like it that. In a way, that's what I'm saying. It's not as overt. Whereas Gavin is being like, "I hate trans people." Like, that's he's simply just saying that. That's what he's doing. And there's the weird move here of him saying that real men change their minds, and yet when it gets to the point, and then. 
but then they're saying that he has views and he's like, I don't even have views. This is my opinion and I'm not willing to change my mind, basically. That's well, he <laughs> no, he did say like, you could change my mind. It's just that if, so like, if you could just show me a way that there's not two genders. Holy shit. And like, part of the thing is like, there's more than two, like there's ways of framing that, but there's more than two genders. And for you to just keep stay, still being in denial about it is on you. So it's like, you need to posture as the, I'm the rational one. I can change my mind. It's all those stubborn lefties that aren't changing their minds. And really, I'm justified in referring to trans people as how we refer to them, right? So he's justified it into his own head. Yet we know they're like completely wrong about it, right? Uh, but it's like weird. The weird part about that is you could tell like when it came to views, they immediately jumped into views about masculinity and femininity. And like so the one thing that we've been covering on the show so far in just two episodes is the fact that like masculinity is a common theme that keeps yeah. popping up. And they're like super concerned about that. Like it almost Because masculinity is under attack, Jody. Well, you can almost sense that in that clip, couldn't <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah. It was like the the fact of like immediately going, Oh, I'm not into that because, like wacky weird shit. Yeah, because you know, white young men are being attacked. They're the oppressed ones. Yeah. And that's why they go up to Gavin because Gavin's a fucking hero. This was for white men. Yeah. Uh, this is the weirdest thing about this whole interview because it's constantly on this balance between the left being these pansy weaklings, and that Gavin and Ezra are just these victims, constantly being censored. I mean, I said, but I said that they do that with <laughs> Ezra. Does that with Trudeau whenever he talks about him? It's he's, constant. It's like yeah. somehow Trudeau's a mastermind, and yet you know he's the, also the, the meme where. It's the guy and he's like sweating and then it's the two buttons. <laughs> yeah. It's always like that. And so it continues for the most part. There is a, a long clip here that uh, I didn't I didn't save. And part of that is just because Ezra goes on this uh, rant about the fact that he was forced by the Canadian broadcast standards uh, cancel to apologize after something he said on air. And basically what happened was he said, go fuck your mother in Spanish oh on air. And this was when he was on Sun Media TV. And so then the Canadian Broadcasting Standards Council forced him to apologize. And he talks as if this is like huge censorship and, and he, that the government would force him to do this. But it wasn't really the government that forced him to do it because the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council is not a government organization it's a self-regulating body uh that people join to be members who are independent media groups we don't have like we do have something similar that regulates the canadian broadcast company which is our uh, public uh, television channel but in the, we don't have the equivalent of the states which is the fcc the federal communications mm. uh can't remember what the other c stands for <laughs> uh which they have, which is a federal regulator that regulates what can be said. So you can't swear on TV, right? The, the George Carlin bit about the seven words you can't say on TV, right? Yeah. So we don't have that. I mean, he could have sworn at some other time, but it was just the fact that it, it was in the context of an opinion piece that he was talking about. Uh, I think he was getting mad at a banana company that was mad at the oil sands. And oh. so he was basically saying F you to you. And it had a kind of like an ethnic baggage to it too. Like, wh why would you refer to this? banana company or swear at them in spanish right because they're from colombia it's sort of i don't know ezra so that takes up a huge portion but then we're going to get into this next clip and it's super 
well, it's not super, it's super long, maybe in the context of some of the clips I've used so far in today's episode. But this clip is going to take us on a journey and we're going to go through it. So here it goes. My life changed drastically on October 12th last year. What happened on October 12th? I did a speech at the Manhattan Republican Club. I've done speeches there before. It's basically the only place I can do stand-up comedy. Because as a Trump guy, you can't go to comedy clubs in New York. And I mean that literally. I cannot walk into a comedy club. I'll be asked to leave. I, there's a bar right down the street here called uh, Strange Love, where I cannot get a beer. We should go there after. I love tormenting them. So I want to pause there. You can notice, like, I'm not allowed to be here. So I'm just going to go to confront them. I'm going to create confrontation. Yeah. This is going to be a standard theme in what Gavin does. I put all their Yelp reviews are full of people saying, Proud Boys official bar and a great place for a mega guy to get a beer. We've totally ruined their business. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. But uh, we should take selfies in there. Oh, that's funny. No, it's um, but so I just did my normal thing. And, you know, the, the, the left is so fragile now that it's just fun to trigger them with this or say free helicopter rides for commies, which is a reference to Pinochet that makes them apoplectic. So I read about four months before I had read that Otoya Yamaguchi was this 18-year-old student who assassinated the head of the Japan Socialist Party with a katana. And he later killed himself in prison. And uh, it's I, I read that Japanese conservatives have these um, ceremonies for Otoya every year, which is clearly just to fuck with people, right? And I thought, that'd be funny if we did that here. And the fact that he's Japanese would screw up people's heads with the racist thing. So... We reenacted the assassination of this socialist. Uh, Ryan played the Japanese guy. He's oh. half Japanese, doesn't know any Japanese. So he's just like, Urukoso, soryo. Oh my god. And when you look it up on YouTube, it's in slow motion. So I was like, <laughs> with like a plastic katana. And I had the almond eyes glasses. Oh they're called my now. god. You're not allowed to call them whatever. And no. I'm going to let him finish this point. There's there's way more to this clip still going, but I just want to pause here. I mean, other than the obvious uh, anti, or not anti-Japanese, but like Japanese racism, like mocking their accent and stuff like this. Notice the two examples are like, we're just fucking with the leftists. I make Pinochet jokes, right? The Pinochet uh, government basically pushed people out of airplanes, assassinating and killing left-leaning people in the country, annihilated them. Mm-hmm. And this is a case of the, this example in Japan, Japan that happened was of a individual who yeah. went and executed socialists. And so they, they put on this, we're not an evil group. We're just, this is all just a, a comedy show. We're just, we're just taking the piss out of you. It's so easy to take the piss out of you. And yet the examples we jumped to are examples where real world situations where literal people killed people like you. Right. And here's the thing is we covered, what was that? That delay person yep. who supported uh, a person in Palestine and they linked it back to anti-Semitism. Yep. And you can always see that they're constantly going at the left for holding these like, oh, the left is all violent. The left is all violent. Just look at this. So it, it expands from this, sadly. And I had this, I bought a Japanese school uniform. It took like four months oh, to be shipped really from China. Funny. And I was like, and he's like, I forgot. Well, not that we need to listen to more of that. I forgot how long that goes on. But he he also showed up at this rally on October 12th uh, with the katana. And there was like a famous shot of him showing up with his mobs of people stepping out of the like the car with a giant sword and like waving it above the Proud Boy people. So that's also part of the context of this event. And then I did a talk that was pure comedy. 
Oh my Pure God. comedy. It was like the comedy set in Tel Aviv. And the funny thing about the left these days is all you have to do is talk about their beliefs and it's a comedy set. Yeah. So you're like, let me get this straight. Cops are hunting black people for sport, just like on a hillside. I got one. Like you just say their beliefs and everyone's laughing their heads off. And the audience, by the way, would. Notice how Ezra doesn't even laugh at that. Like there's nothing funny about that whatsoever. No. Cops are hunting black people. Ha ha. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's gay, Jewish, black, white, old, young. It was one of the most diverse groups you, you'd ever see in New York. I have black friends. New York's very segregated. <laughs> Outside, everyone was screaming and yelling, Nazi, and and um, they beat the sh- Antifa beat the crap out of this journalist, Paul Miller, uh, and three Antifa were arrested: Kai Russo, Caleb Perkins, Finn Barcelona. They got away with it, scot free. But the the consequential thing about October twelfth was, it was right before the midterms, and Chadwick Moore had just started this hashtag called Jobs Not Mobs, and the left was getting known as unhinged. So they desperately needed right wing violence to obfuscate that narrative. And they needed a fight that night. They needed Proud Boys to get into a fight. And actually one of the guys said, look, we know they're looking for a photo op. Let's bring pillows tonight. So if there's a fight, they'll have us pillow fighting Antifa. And they brought pillows, but the night ended. Pillows stayed at the Manhattan Club and the mob was there, the Antifa were arrested. The Antifa were sent away. They circled the block, ambushed Proud Boys, Proud Boys happily beat them up, and they got found guilty a year later now, almost, for too happily beating them up. So here's the thing. He says that the Proud Boys got ambushed. And the thing that is so stupid about this is there's video footage. Yeah. And it is clear that the Proud Boys attacked and ambushed the Antifa people. Yeah. And started punching them in the face and putting them in headlocks and all this other kind of stuff. So it was clear that the Proud Boys were the instigator. And that's why those people are going to jail. As our, uh, Gavin also talks about Antifa people getting arrested. They didn't get charged. And part of that is because there was no video footage of this other attack. At least none that I could find. And also, so it becomes a kind of like, he said, they said situation. But also, there's no reason to think that this guy didn't provoke Antifa or try to attack them, and it was a self-defense kind of thing. I mean, it could have... I'll just say, it could have been the case that Antifa did attack this person. But he also wasn't a journalist. So you've been told that this is a journalist named Paul Miller. This guy actually attended the Proud Boy event as, like, I'm just a person going to a Proud Boy event, not as a journalist to cover it. Yeah. And so he frames it, and then he, he talks about this story about the pillow. As if the whole thing was, it was all just a big joke. It was all just a, we're all just fun and games. And then they ambushed us. It was them who were the instigators. Meanwhile, I showed up to an event with a giant sword and then reenacted murdering socialists on stage. For, for defending themselves with too much enthusiasm. And they're facing nine years in prison. The three Antifa, it was three of ten, by the way. The three Antifa who were arrested right. for beating mercilessly a journalist and taking his equipment Got away scot-free. Probation, no criminal record, no media attention, the nothing. You, the, the guys who defended themselves, nine years in prison. And anyway, since that day, there was this huge onslaught that de Blasio, the attorney general, the governor, Cuomo, they all said, hate is not welcome here. The narrative became, I started a hate group that roams the streets and just beats up Muslims and gays and crannies. Right. They, yep. they postered my kid's school. 
They vandalized my car. They left notes in my door. They've planned a vigil in front of my house that I managed to sabotage. Um, I he mean, the, I'm we should, I wish banned from bars. I, I should I put this in afterwards like a sad violin. Past year. <laughs> Notice the common thread was, oh, I was banned from PayPal, Instagram. My face, my actual face is banned from Instagram. Post a picture face. of a, a pi picture of myself that I use a lot with a fake mugshot. Post that picture on Instagram, it'll be taken down. Or if you say on Facebook, uh, I don't know, Proud Boys, they don't seem that racist to me. Aren't there a lot of black guys in the club? That will get taken down. That he goes through all these stories and then all this like victim stuff. Oh, I'm the victim. They're taking so much stuff away from me. What What about that joke again about black people being killed by cops is just a ridiculous punchline that you can just say at a show and it's sort of ridiculous on the face of it? Yeah. Yet that is far more of a serious issue than the fact that you got kicked off Instagram. Like you, oh no, I'm so sorry, Gavin. I'm so sorry that your, your gang of rabble-rousers beat the crap out of people and are now going to jail for nine years. And it gets worse than this because so he's, you see how he framed that. It's so, everything's, oh, it's just, we're just all good, having fun. It's all just, it's all just jokes. It's all just trolling. Here's Gavin McGinnis on Joe Rogan's show uh, a while before this happened. Uh, I started this gang called the Proud Boys. And, the Proud uh, Boys? The Proud Boys. What is, what's Proud Boys about? We have chapters all over the world. We meet, <laughs> we just meet once a month. Chapters? We uh, we uh, get drunk and just it's like the Elks Lodge. Okay, like Masons or whatever. Celebrating manhood. Yeah, no woman allowed. Ah, oh, wow. You can't Sexist. tell your woman what goes on. To you meet. can't be a proud boy, uh, Caitlin. I'm and sorry. We have different degrees, like the Knights of Columbus. First degree, you declare yourself a proud boy. Second degree, we beat the shit out of you until you can name five breakfast cereals. So that's a true thing, which is very weird. So they beat the shit out of you too. Can name they, five it's like five. an initiation, right? Like there's videos of it online where they stand in a circle and they like punch you. Like it doesn't look like it's actually going to hurt you. It's like, <laughs> like they're punching each other. That's and, you have, and you have to name a bunch of cereals. Yeah, I don't know. You know, when I think about masculinity, <laughs> <laughs> I think about standing in a circle and beating up my friends so they can name breakfast cereals. And you have to give up <laughs> masturbating. No masturbation. Degree, oh, that's fine. You have to give up masturbation, but you have to get a tattoo. And then fourth degree, you get arrested or in a serious violent fight for the really? cause. Really? Yes. You get arrested in a serious violent fight, so you're promoting or violence? Or some sort of major altercation. You shouldn't that, you should erase that part. <laughs> now, credits <laughs> to Joe Rogan's not going to have any of that shit. You mean you're literally telling your members to go commit felonies? <laughs> you can't take that out of your rules. <laughs> That's probably uh, one of the better things I've heard Joe Rogan oh, say. Oh, it gets better. Well, we don't we don't encourage it, but if you're defending, like at the at the Berkeley thing with Milo, we just the, my guys just fourteen of them just walked into a mob of two hundred people just to get their stripes. And said, "I thought you guys were tough." No, they were doing it just for fun. Just for and fun. These people outside of pepper spray and clubs, they can't fight. Like at the NYU thing, my guys were beating them up, and he goes, "This one guy we call Friar Tuck because he's just a monster." Why can't I started they feeling bad. Sorry, I, I started feeling bad after a while. I... <laughs> so say it without laughing. I actually Be don't. Serious. I actually don't know if this is their view, but there are a lot of online pro-masculinity cult-type things that think of your seed as yes, containing some sort of intrinsic power. So if you release too much of your seed by masturbating all the time, you lose that masculine energy. So interestingly enough there's 
like yoga books, like tantric sex books that say the same thing that are like from the 1960s that I found in a used bookstore. Right. So that's where they're getting that stuff from. Right. Which tends to be not proud of your books. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's they got their name from an Aladdin song. (laughs) Like it's yeah, I've read stuff like that where it's like if men don't masturbate, you're going, or if you masturbate, you're going to release your lose that male energy, and you should only save that seed for when it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I masturbate, I go from like <laughs> punching people in the face to just sitting down reading a book. It's <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, just listen to how he ends this clip about so he, just to sort of recap where we are. He's talking about this guy who is a large man who walked into a crowd and was just swinging his arms. So this is Gavin finishes the story. I was just I could tell these kids had never been in a fight and I was just mowing through them. <laughs> I was just mowing through them. <laughs> I was physically assaulting people who weren't attacking me. <laughs> you could see here that modern day Gavin McGinnis is saying, oh, we're just this fun group. Uh, Gavin McGinnis, when he started the Proud Boys, it's actually written in the rules to go out there and physically assault people. Yeah. Now. That's what it's about. Right. So I'm going to go on a journey with you and list a lot of the stuff that the Proud Boys have done since they were created. So in February 2017, fights broke out at a McGinnis speech. Proud Boys were heard encouraging others to fight the gay slurs wearing black that won't let us in. Obviously they didn't say gay slurs. A Proud Boy member was arrested for punching a journalist during that fight. In March 2017, Gavin allowed a convicted felon named Kyle Chapman to join the Proud Boys to lead a group called the Alt Knights, rhyming with alt, right? right? Chapman has since earned the nickname Base Stickman after he was seen beating Antifa protesters with a large stick. A rally in April 2017 hosted by the Proud Boys and attended by Identity Europa, which is a known neo-Nazi group, and the Oath Keepers, which is a far-right militia organization, ended in violence, leading to the arrest of 21 people. Another event in April 2017 in Chicago saw a Proud Boy stab someone and was found guilty of aggravated battery. Proud Boys joined a caravan in New York to march through an Islamic neighborhood purposefully to intimidate the residents of that neighborhood. Many protests in Portland, Oregon have broken out from 2017 until today. There was one just recently, with many Proud Boy members being arrested for violent acts. In July 2017, members of the Canadian Armed Forces, who are also members of the Proud Boys, disrupted a protest held by Indigenous activists outside of Halifax by waving British flags saying, we're proud of our heritage too. Many Proud Boy members participated in the Charlottesville rally where people holding tiki torches chanted Jews will not replace us and a far-right protester drove his car into a crowd of people killing Heather Heyer. Several members of the Proud Boy were found guilty of starting riots in New York during the October 12th event McGinnis uh, is discussing, as well as uh, assault and battery during that event. January 2019, a Proud Boy member threatened to kill the mayor of Portland on a Facebook post he made public. Proud of you, boy! (laughs) They're, uh... A hate group who have harassed people based on their race and religion and have uh, committed several felonies. Yeah. No, I know. Now, I got one last clip. And Ezra and Gavin get very philosophical. They're going to answer the age-old question that if you could go back in time, 
would you kill baby Hitler? No. You know, there's that thought experiment that it's an ethics question. Would you kill baby Hitler if he could go back in time? What if you the time machine breaks? <laughs> well, You're like, trust me, he was going to become a mass murderer. No, but whatever, dude. I mean, what? <laughs> a lot of people say yes. A lot of people. My favorite part is like, because Ezra doesn't know what the fuck to say to this. He just like bosses for like ever, just like, and it just ignores it and moves on. So this is he's moving on now. We'll say no, but here's the thing: Um, the assumption is killing Hitler will save lives. Do you kill a baby Hitler who is not yet more a moral being? That's the ethics test. But the premise is. If you kill Hitler, you will save. Correct. So the premise is accepted. The the moral battle is, well, do you become a murderer for an innocent baby? But my point is, everyone agrees in that thought experiment that you will save lives. That's the reason it's a test. If you tell 300 million plus Americans that someone is a Nazi, maybe 250 million will say, oh, that's hyperbole. And maybe 20 million will say, it's hyperbole, but I'm going to use it because I believe in this ultra-partisan style of rhetorical combat. But maybe one in a thousand people will believe you. This is why this is a stupid thought experiment. And I'm so, I mean, clearly he didn't think this through. But the reason why you would kill baby Hitler or why you set it up because you know you're going to save lives, is because you know you're going to save lives because you know it's baby Hitler. Right? Nothing in like a current context. So take someone who is a proud boy. Okay. You don't know that they're going to be a Hitler person who kills six million Jews. All you know is that they're a proud boy. Yeah. It could be an insignificant proud boy who maybe in a couple weeks realizes the ills of their way and changes their mind. Yeah. So you wouldn't kill them. But he's framing it as like, if you just tell people that these are Nazis, that somehow people are just going to go and kill them. It's like, no, because not everyone is Hitler, right? Part of the thought experiment is that you know that it's Hitler. But isn't the thought experiment, do you kill one life to save millions? Well, that's the, it's the utilitarian yeah. thought experiment. Yeah. yeah, that's all that is. Right. So, but he's twisted it but, for his own purpose. Well, because like part of that's not what that's getting at. No, because part of what utilitarian thought is getting at is that you know that it has a utilitarian benefit. Yeah. Right? Benefit so he's getting, uh, in the parlance of philosophy, so I have my degrees in philosophy, he's getting his epistemology all messed up. So it's like, you don't know that this individual is going to be... If you don't know the individual is going to become a Hitler, then you don't know to kill him or not. Absolutely. But he's using it in a way that doesn't even like work with that original thought experiment. And that's why this is bothering oh. me so much. Yeah, no, it's it's a none of it makes sense. <laughs> because that does, does that if I go if you call someone a Nazi, then you might kill them, and that's why we have to be careful. I'm right. not calling people, but that's not what the thought experiment's about. The thought experiment's about do you no, kill well, one I mean, life I, to save millions? I think that that part of it, if I'm being fair to him, is him now sort of like moving away from the thought experiment. Okay. So I think what he's saying is like now that you frame these other people as Nazis. Now they'll go through an iteration of the same thought experiment, which is that if you know that they're a Nazi and you know they're going to do 
But here's the thing is that it only works in the case where the guy is literally Hitler and killed like millions of people, right? It doesn't work on some like, okay, I know you're a Nazi. That doesn't mean that I know you're going to commit genocide yeah. in the moment, right? I mean, it means that you're someone I need to be concerned about why we're doing this podcast. And I'm going to try to reach you, fix you, whatever it takes to get you to not be a Nazi. But I don't think the step right now in this case was some Joe on the street who's just a like regular dude in a Proud Boy outfit is someone that I you should just kill because you yeah. think in some weird sense it's going to... What's a Proud Boy outfit look like? Uh, I think they wear beige shorts and like polo shirts. That's really bad. Yeah. That's really gross. Proud of your boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they go on with this. It gets, It's amazing. So they're clearly not philosophically literate and watch them as they just tumble through this mess. Correct. That's an actual Nazi and a Nazi's one one thing, but a Hitler in the making. I'll go further with this, Ezra. They're aware of that. They want us dead. They are aware that this hyperbole puts our life in danger. They know we're not Nazis, but they say it because they want us dead. They're childless. They don't have kids. They don't value life. They're mad because people are calling others Nazis. And that's bad because if you call them Nazis, other people might want to kill them. Yet here's Gavin saying, the people calling us Nazis don't value life. So you're basically saying, these are terrible people. And by their logic, if you refer to a group as terrible, yeah. that means that you should kill them if their <laughs> narrow focus on the thought experiment is real. So they're just engaging in the same bullshit. Anyways. It's all a big video game to them. And they're sitting there trying to kill Ezra, trying to kill Gavin. You know the Dayton, Ohio guy? He's an Antifa supporter. Ant the Dayton, Ohio guy might have been an Antifa supporter. But it's important to highlight that he didn't go on the shooting spree because of his leftist political beliefs. At least if it were the case, nothing has come out to indicate that it was the case. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like it had more of a violence against women uh, issue there, and it was more of a domestic altercation with uh, the shooter's sister. I believe. It's been a while since I looked into it. But the mere fact of calling it Antifa is... And, and again, they don't say it, but how many shootings have happened that have been right-wing motivated? Like so the many. shooter in El Paso, etc., right? We just so, had one. Well, I don't think if it was in Odessa. Odessa, sorry. Yeah, I don't know whether the Odessa one, what that was motivated by. I think the guy just snapped. Right. Like but the person in El Paso was just, definitely yeah. a uh, white nationalist motivated shooter. And those are explicit. So it's like they have to like really fight to find these ones examples. So uh, as you'll see, he had a post where he was pro-Antifa. Therefore, everything that he does is Antifa's yeah. fault. Right? A member who killed 10 people in Dayton, uh, many of them black, by the way. He called Faith Goldie a Nazi. He retweeted a, a hmm. tweet that said Faith Goldie was a Nazi. a Nazi. So here is someone who we now know is a murderer. And again, you're trying to say they're not justified in being violent against us and they're using the Nazi slur to make people want to be violent against us. And meanwhile, the whole time he's saying, look, they've killed people. They don't value life. They're just going around calling people Nazis because they want us to die. What is the message you get from that other than we got to kill those people? That's true. They're yeah. coming to kill us. They don't value life. So they're undermining their whole thought experiment in the first place. He wants to murder people and he thought Faith was a Nazi. 
Whoever called Faith a Nazi put her life in danger. Yes, I want to say, because I don't know if I've said this yet. We've talked about Faith Goldie. She went on a neo-Nazi podcast, all that fun stuff. Ezra still has her content on the website behind the paywall, like archived footage. And I'm thinking, this is someone you kicked off of your show because she went on this uh, neo-Nazi podcast and she joked about your Jewishness. And yet you're still profiting off of her content. Yeah. And notice here with the power balance. So like when we began this, Ezra had this deference to Gavin because he's he's more famous than luck. You made it. We let you out there in the world. Ezra so far has not brought up Faith Goldie. And I imagined it never coming up on the show because why would you talk about the thing uh, that basically got him blackballed in Canadian media, right? Yeah. I think I mentioned it uh, last week. The reason why Andrew Shear does not interact with him whatsoever is because of what happened in Charlottesville and the whole Faith Golden thing. Yeah. That was the reason he backed out. So I just thought that Ezra was just never going to touch it. And here he is being in their parlance, like, uh, what is it? Gavin is cucking him, right? He's bringing, <laughs> he's bringing up this like power move of raising Faith Goldie and defending Faith Goldie in front of the person uh, who's got a, an interest of just ignoring her. Yeah. And I don't think he responds to Gavin and says anything positive about Faith Goldie. Maybe he does. We'll, we'll hear. And actually led to the deaths, probably. Of those of those people he this killed. This propaganda kills people. And the thing is, calling you a Nazi or, or Faith a Nazi is one thing. But when you call the president of the United States a Nazi, see, now that's a different thing because whether you're crazy or not, you know that the president of the United States is a very powerful person. So some guy on the street, you call him a Nazi, well, I'll punch him. But if the president of the United States himself is a Nazi, you must assassinate him. If I believed that Donald Trump was Hitler, and obviously I don't, if I truly believed that, would I not have a moral obligation to do anything I could, including risking my own life? Exactly. To stop well, they took that premise. So I, I just wanted to, to chime in with the fact of like, he did say, yeah, they're calling her Nazi. But again, he doesn't sort of like say whether she is or she isn't. But then on this case, this, this next little bit is so great. Just watch Ezra cave in. Just utterly get deflated. <laughs> watch this. It's amazing. Which is a good premise. You should punch a Nazi. You should punch someone who is going to kill six million Jews. You should punch That's someone. Punch a Hitler, but even the Nazis, just someone. There were there were millions of Nazis who didn't actually themselves commit a murder. It was just an right. But you should punch them if it's 1943. You should punch a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, okay, if you're in a, you know 1943, I agree. <laughs> So somehow Ezra goes, they're like, well, you can't just punch Nazis. And Gavin's like, yeah, fucking punch Nazis. <laughs> and then... Uh, so they want to get punched, eh? Well, because well, well, we're not the real Nazis. Like, that's like their sort of like mentality, right? Meanwhile, you have people who are friends with Faith Goldie, who are friends with these militia groups, who engage in all this uh, xenophobia. and Well, they do too. No, but that's that's what I'm framing. They, yeah. they engage in the xenophobia, right? And so it's for them, it's like, oh, we're not the Nazis because they're realizing in their head if, or maybe they're not, but this is sort of like the, the outcome of this. It's like, if we are the Nazis, it is justified to punch us. So no, we're not Nazis. <laughs> so like they, they've come full circle. Yeah, like, no, oh, they're yeah. having a hard time with this. Uh, that's that's the end of the thing. So they once that's done, they they sort of, get off the Nazi this, Nazi this chat and this weird Hitler thought experiment. 
and they spend the entire rest of the episode just whining and complaining about uh being censored and no one likes us and we're victims and so it was just boring and i was like i'm not gonna cover that screw that and then that's it that's all i got gavin mcginnis is a terrible human being but i wanted to mention i had a clip at the end of the show about uh this guy saying uh homeless people in la have smartphones oh my gosh and <laughs> this is in our first episode that, again, we scrapped because of recording issues. This is hopefully the last time we're going to bring that up. Uh, that voice is actually someone I mentioned already in this podcast, which is the uh, Joe Pollock person who's the editor-at-large of Breitbart. And what he was saying in that clip was basically, we live in a time where, like, everything's great, right? It's this techno-optimist picture that like people like steven pinker always talk about which is that like we've reached a time where like everything's great like even homeless people in la have smartphones and at the time when we did it uh, i just i i took it at face value and i was just like that's just a weird thing to say and we like moved on but i got curious and so i googled it and it might actually be true but not in the way that they're framing it which is that california actually has a uh policy in place that uh subsidizes homeless people from being able to access smartphones and the reason is is they come equipped with these apps so that you can find shelters and other things that yeah. are close by and stuff like there's that. something like that in the uk as well right and so it's a great program but here's the thing he's framing it as this like great thing about markets and how like far we've moved technology technologically yeah, and all this stuff state regulation and it's state regulation <laughs> so uh just sort of silly but i just love it because he said it so hey, homeless people have smartphones in L.A. And I was just like, that was out of nowhere and Apple random. Apple and, and so... Android gave it to them for free yeah. <laughs> because they care so much about homelessness. So that's it. If uh, you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. We have uh, four tiers of membership. One, if you donate a buck a month, we'll give you a one-time only shout-out on the show, uh, just as we did with Jesse earlier. Thank you so much, Jesse. If you donate five bucks a month, we'll give you a shout out at the end of every month. For $10, you will have access to our private Discord where while I'm doing my research, you can chat with me and all kinds of other stuff like that. And for $20, you can request a show topic to us. So as I said earlier, as we go on, I'm going to have already gone over some of the crap that we've gone over. And so I might just be like, I don't need to go into this again. Just briefly point that they said it again and move on. And then you can tell me, hey, Remember that time that Ezra Levant was at the Human Rights Tribunal for insulting gypsies? And I'll be like, oh, I remember that time. And then I'll like research <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> what that was about. That was just my favorite. Like, why? Why? Why, Ezra? Why? That should be like our show. Why, Ezra? Uh, so those are our tiers. If you are at all interested, go check those out. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter, <clears throat> at Imperial News with a Z. That is Imperial N-E-W-Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News, but it is rather lonely right now because no one's on there. (laughs) So if you're interested in that, join it, and hopefully we can get some discussions going once it gets more populated. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com, and I might, time willing, get to some of those at the end of each show. Thank you for listening. And try to be nice to hippies. Homeless people in L.A. have smartphones.